0: All right, let's begin with prayer. We're thankful, Father, for this, the Lord's Day, uh, first Lord's Day of uh, 2021. And uh, we're grateful that uh, we can join together and worship with uh, my friends and your friends most of all your friends. I ask that you'd open up the word to us today and use my fallible lips to convey your infallible truth to us. Help us to leave today with greater confidence in you, O God. Love, but also confidence in you. We pray it, Father, in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, and fill us mightily with your Spirit. It's in the Lord's name we pray. Amen. All right, I'm going to read today two verses from the 18th Psalm, Psalm 18. Uh, just a quick background to this psalm. You'll often know in note in study Bibles, particularly in the psalms, there'll be like a little introduction about the context of the psalm. You probably know that's not a part of the inspired word. Generally, Old Testament scholars investigate, and they they're giving their opinion about the context for this psalm, uh, if you have a study Bible, it might say something like the psalm um, that David wrote, or actually, literally, would have sung, composed after God gave him victory over Saul and his enemies. So, this would have been he would have been anointed, but not necessarily uh, king yet. Now, that may or may not be true, but certainly, if you read it and read the whole thing later, it's a psalm where David is exalting and thanking God for all of His goodness. But in the middle of it, there are two verses that are very arresting, and um, I'll tell you why in a minute, but it's Psalm 18, 25 and 26, <clears throat> and he says this, with the merciful, you will show yourself merciful. With a blameless man, you will show yourself blameless. With the pure, you will show yourself pure. And with the devious, you will show yourself shrewd. May a little language in different translations, but that certainly is the gist of it. Now, if I were to... So I'm speaking today. The title of this short message is God's Moral Dependability. If I were to give it a subtitle, it would be God is a God of Rules. Now, of course, I gave it that to get... people's attention because that's a little counterintuitive, at least to many Christians today. The thing that they love about God is that because he is a God of grace, he's not a God of rules. What we love about God is that God is willing to set the rules aside, accept me for how I am, and thank God Jesus died on the cross, and I'm not saved by works, and God has abandoned rules, and thank God in the place of rules he has shown me his grace and his mercy. But as you read Psalm and the rest of the Bible, Psalms and the rest, you find that that is a false antithesis. In fact, I want to say on the authority of particularly these verses, but all of the Bible, that it should be a great comfort to our heart that God is a God of rules. Now, let me give you an example about that. We think about the cross, and we know that from what the rest of the Bible teaches, that we're saved entirely by God's grace. and Christ went to the cross, and God sent his Son out of the love of his heart. When we were sinners, there there was no other way to be saved apart from God's grace. That is his gift to us, not something we can earn. But you see, actually, Christ's death on the cross was perhaps the most supreme example in history of God playing by the rules. God plays by his own rules. Think about that for a minute. So, we were born into sin. We all sinned. Therefore, as we we're born into the world, we stand under God's judgment. By the way, that's God's righteous judgment. It's just. It's not unkind. It's not cruel. Okay. We, he created us to, uh, in his image, to love and enjoy and obey him. And of course, we sinned and didn't. So, he has every right as God to visit his judgment. So, God is just. He's righteous but he is equally a god of love and his justice involves his willingness to undertake justice in order to save us so i said all that to say this if we were to be saved we were to be had to be saved according to god's rules and god's rules demanded that there be a penalty just payment for sin and of course that's why christ had to die such a tragic, horrifying death on the cross, not just a physical agony, but being separated from his Father and the wrath of God being placed upon him, that's God playing by the rules. Now think about that. God was unwilling to bypass his own rules. He was unwilling to allow his own son that he loved more than we could love any of our children He was unwilling to bypass the rules in order to save us. So to say, well, we're saved by grace, and therefore God's not really a God of rules is false. God was free to save us by grace because he's a God of rules. Now, some people hear that and they say, oh, that's just, rules are heavy and rules are really harsh, and oh, I just would love to be free and liberated from rules. But really? I mean, would you like to be free? liberated from the physical rules of the universe? Would you like to be liberated from gravity? Would you like to be liberated from the second law of thermodynamics? Would you like to be liberated from the laws of motion? I don't think you would. Well, even more so, think about the moral laws. Moral laws, God's moral laws are given for our good. Which is another way of saying God's rules and his stability and his dependability in keeping the rules is a source of comfort. Not a source of a burden to us. Uh, Um... So, my point in these verses, if you look at them, is that God responds to us as we respond to him. Isn't that fascinating? With the merciful, you will show yourself merciful. Now, in the Bible, mercy is not bypassing the rules. It's a a kindness and a willingness to reach out in spite of the fact that people have broken the rules. In spite of the fact. So if somebody sins, they've sinned against us, and they truly repent and ask our forgiveness, we can't withhold a forgiveness. Now, if they don't repent, that's something else, but that's not what we're talking about. God is a merciful God, and we should treat others mercifully. Well, he's saying God treats us, David's saying that if we're merciful to others, God will be merciful to us. Then notice what he says. He says the same thing, the next word. He says, with the blameless, you will show yourself blameless. Now, that word blameless means uh, upright. That is, honest. We speak of a man as being upstanding. Well, this scripture says that God is upstanding. (laughs) That's what it's saying. And if we live blameless, notice it doesn't say sinless. None of us can live sinlessly. But if we live upright lives, God will be upright with us. God responds as we do. Now again, let me insert here again that I'm making this point because so many Christians today will say, well, well no, I mean, I'm not upright, and I don't have to be upright. And the good thing about God is that he is upright, and I'm not really upright, and it doesn't matter. But you see, that's not what David says. With the merciful, he will show himself merciful. With the upright, he will show himself upright. Then he goes to the next. He says, with the pure, you will show yourself pure. Now that's a different angle. That means purged from evil. I mean God is the purest being there could be. There is no evil in him. He can't even consider it. Well though we can't be absolutely pure, the scripture's very clear that we're to live pure lives, and we live pure lives, and God treats us in purity because he is pure, and when we respond in purity, he responds to us in a very pure and holy way. But then we come to that next. Now here's the negative side. It's interesting. He says, but with the devious you will show yourself shrewd. Now the word literally there, it's interesting, it means both of these are two different Hebrew words, but kind of mean crooked. And he said, oh, wait a minute, Andrew, that, that's not right. I mean, God's not crooked. We often speak of um, corrupt police officers. The Brits call them bent. What does that mean, bent? Crooked means they're not straight. They're not playing according to the rules. So when it says here literally sort of God is crooked, it doesn't mean that he's immoral. What it means is that when the wicked are devious and sneaky, God is sneaky with them. He responds to them as they respond to him. Now you think about that. How did the wicked do that? Well, so the wicked try to hide think think as though they can hide things from God. They hide things from man. They assume that God will never find out. They bypass his rules, his rules of godly, uh, in today's world, godly sexuality, uh, filthy language, filthy mouths, uh, treat others with uh, unkindness, Uh, blaspheme God, put themselves first, live in autonomy. They think they can live any way they want, live a crooked life. Well, God actually will deal with them in their crookedness. That's what it means. In fact, the scripture, there's a text you probably all know that God will catch the wicked in their own sin. It says in Proverbs, the wicked like to set the traps and they'll fall into their own traps. God is the master of that. And by the way, that's why the wicked never get away with sin. They can't temporarily, but they'll never get away with sin because they can't outfox God. That's what that verse means. But the point about all four of these things in those verses, the statement, is that God responds to us as we respond to him. If we respond in faithfulness and love and obedience, he responds to us that way. If humanity responds in disobedience and crookedness, that's how God responds to them. Um, And that's how God captures the wicked. Now, so, the bottom line to all of this is that God can be depended on. God is not uh, fickle. Another word that's often used is capricious. Um, We can bank on God. We've all had uh, disappointments with independable people, and let's be honest with ourselves, we, because we're sinful, we have at times not been dependable. I think one of the things, if you really do have a, a halfway decent heart at all, one of the greatest disappointments of our lives is when other people depend on us and we let them down. Our hearts are greatly burdened by that. Oh, I should have done better. I've done that before. I'm just heartsick over that. Why wasn't I dependable? And we look at others, particularly others that we look up to, And they say they're going to do something and they don't. And uh, they're people we look up to morally and they're great moral failures and it crushes our hearts. Um, God often uses that in our lives to show us that he alone is truly dependable. Um, That's a key to understand that God is morally dependable. In fact, to say that God is a God of rules is to say that God is dependable. And that's really what the Bible means when it says that God will not change. It doesn't mean God's aloof when it says that he doesn't change. It doesn't mean that God doesn't have emotion. It means that he's stable. He's dependable. He'll do exactly what he said he would do. And that's what David's banking on here. He said, in all of these things, in all of the trials, when Saul was out to destroy me and to kill me, when my enemies were chasing me all over the ancient Near East, God, you were dependable. And your promises were true. Now, I want to make this a direct application and then we'll take time for questions. We live in chaotic times, which really is kind of another way of saying we live in independable times. The times are not... There are times historically when they're sort of the rhythms of life. A lot of traditional societies are that way. You get up in the morning and you can be pretty certain things are going to be today, for the most part, the way they were yesterday. But there are times of great social chaos. Revolution, times of war, times of great hardship. Well, I don't think anybody would deny that we live in times of great chaos right now. Uh, Familial chaos. Uh, The family's under attack just about anywhere. I was just mentioning to Dave yesterday uh, or day before that I've noticed in a number of TV shows and movies lately one thing that is almost never depicted is just an ordinary, faithful, standard family, a husband and a wife and children that are just normal. If there's a family, the dad is abusive or a drunk or a philanderer, Or um, the wife is off doing her own thing and doesn't care for her kids. Or the kids are disobedient and loud and um, defy their parents. Or, of course, rampant divorce. Um, But in any case, the idea of an intact, ordinary family is something that's not depicted. Um, I believe that in some cases that's intentional. There's an intentional goal of many people in Hollywood to undermine the family. Some of them are pretty honest about it. Uh, So there's this familial chaos. There's obviously economic chaos. Um, What about the market? Not so much even so much the stock market, but because of all the COVID restrictions and lockdowns, what's the economy going to be, particularly for uh, people that work in high human contact jobs? It's a chaotic time for them. We certainly live in times of sexual chaos, of the uh, increased acceptance of uh, homosexuality, uh, same sex marriage, uh, so called same sex attraction, the attack on ordinary biblical sexuality. It's, it's everywhere. And political chaos, of course. Idea of stolen election who is really elected, who is not, uh, the transition, political transitions. And beyond that, let's be honest ecclesial, that is, church chaos. The church is saying, when are we going to meet again? We don't know when we're going to meet again. We just don't know. So we'll just do Zoom meetings and pastors and church leaders not knowing which way to go or what they're supposed to do. Chaos. Vocational chaos. When can we go back to work? Are we, How long are we going to work from home? All, so I think it's the point I'm making is we live in chaotic times, which is um, in dependable times. And amid all of that, There is one thing, I should say, one person that can be solid as a rock, and that is our triune God. That's the bottom line. And that's the bottom message for today. There's an interesting statement in the Paul says in the New Testament, just one of the great promises of the Word. It says, he says, All of the promises of God in Jesus Christ are yes and amen. He's referring earlier, he was talking about his own promises. And he says it's not yes and it's not uh, yes and no. What he's essentially saying is God is not nuanced. You know, you talk to people and say you want a straight answer: Are you coming or not? Well, you know, I'm thinking it's we're we're intending to do that, but we're making four stops, and you know, it depends on. It's possible that we might have to stay an extra night here, so we're not sure we're going to be up there. Well, if you're expecting people, you're like, no, I just need an answer: yes or no. Uh, there's an uh, amusing anecdote of. Uh, president, the Democratic president, um, Harry Truman, uh, he would always have economists come into his office and he would ask them about the economy. And they would always say, yeah, I think it's going to be great. Next quarter has been great and on the one hand. But on the other hand, you know, there are these issues and that could cause a problem. And he very jokingly says, I wish I could find a one handed economist. I don't want somebody to come and say on the one hand and on the other hand, I want somebody to come in and say, look, this is what we believe. This is direct. That's kind of what Paul's saying there. God doesn't come. It's either yes or no. It's right or wrong. God doesn't come and say, well, yes, yeah, probably right, but let's just think of all of these other factors, and I might not do that. He says God doesn't operate that way. God is dependable. And uh, I think the application to our lives at this time is to have full confidence in God and his promises and to hold him to his promises, you know that God isn't upset when we hold him to his promises. There are several times in the Bible, a good case of that, you probably know the case of Gideon, time when the Israelites, during the time of Judges, were in this cycle of apostasy. God would deliver them after they repented, then they would go right back to serving false gods and so on, and so God was ready to deliver them through this young, unassuming man, as far as we know, Gideon. And the Lord came to him. The Bible says an angel. It could very well have been Christ himself, a pre-incarnate version of Christ. And he says, oh, you mighty man of valor. And is at, or I'm sorry, Gideon's actually hiding out, threshing wheat so that it's not stolen. And it's as though he says, what, me? I'm, not, I'm like hiding out here because I'm craven. And he says, you mighty man of valor. He says, God's going to use you. I'm going to use you to deliver my people. And then it's something very interesting. Gideon, I'm paraphrasing, but he says, if you really, who you say you are, where are all the promises that you gave to us as Israel? You you gave us all these promises. If you're God or you're a representative of God, it's interesting. Do you know what God didn't do? God didn't reprimand him for that. The reason God didn't reprimand him is because the fact that he questioned God shows that he at least had belief in God's promises. He says, look, I believe your word, your law that's been given, and if you're really who you say you are, you should act according to your word. God actually likes when we do that. We get on our face before God and say, God, you promised to do this. Here it is right here. I'm reminding you. God likes when we remind him of his promises because that shows that we have confidence in him. And he likes when we have confidence. So today, let's uh, rejoice that God is dependable, and let's act on the dependability of God. And that God responds to us as we respond to him. That should increase our trust and confidence in him and give us boldness to keep stepping forward utterly in faith. Remember this in conclusion. God always honors people who act in faith. Because even if their head is slightly wrong, even if their direction is slightly wrong, they're trying to please Him. God does not honor timid unbelief, God always honors bold faith. Uh, let's pray and then let's have some time for questions. Thank you, Father, for the truths of your word. Thank you that these uh, words, that were uttered, oh, 3,000 or some years ago, are still glorious and are still truthful for us today. Lord, to help us to live in greater confidence in you and in your word, and help us to respond in faith and obedience at all times. We pray these things, Father, in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord and King. Amen.